If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James, chapter 2. We're going to start James, chapter 2, this morning. That's page 1011 in the Black Bibles, in the pews, if you want to use one of those. James, chapter 2. You know, we live in a world that focuses primarily on external appearances. Everywhere we look, we're bombarded with pressure to look a certain way on the outside in order to make some kind of statement about who we are on the inside. Oftentimes, we think that as long as we can project a certain look or a certain lifestyle, then what's going on inside particularly in our hearts, that doesn't really matter, right? As long as I'm projecting kind of what I want, I can sort of hide what's really going on inside. We are also, though, a people who judge others based on these external appearances. We all have a tendency to hide what's on the inside and project a certain thing outside, but that also translates in how we view others. We oftentimes only look at external appearances. This is superficiality. There's a lot of talk in our day about the dangers of discrimination or showing bias or prejudice. We hear about this all the time. There is something about treating people with favoritism that bothers us as human beings. We intuitively know this is wrong even if we're not able to always articulate why. But if we know it's wrong to show favoritism and to judge people by how they appear on the outside, then why is it something that we are all prone to do? And why does it seem like showing favoritism is systemic in many arenas of our society? According to a study by the University of Florida, tall people can expect to earn at least $800 more a year than others. According to a 2004 study by George Washington University, people who are overweight tend to make significantly less than those who are of a normal weight. A 2010 study from Queensland University indicates that blonde women earn 7% more than women of a different hair color. Another study shows that women who wear makeup make 30% more than those who do not. Yale University studies indicates that those who are considered handsome earn 5% more than those considered otherwise. Now, we don't want to put too much stock into these studies, right? Because there's all kinds of... these, These studies raise more questions than they answer for us, right? I mean, how are they defining these things? What is tall? What is handsome, right? What, what, is, what, is, uh, what does it mean to be overweight? Like, there, there's, all these things are open to uh, interpretation and different definitions. And, of course, correlation, as we often hear, does not equal causation, right? There could certainly be a correlation. That doesn't mean there's a, that proves causation. But I think we can all agree that it is common for people, including ourselves, to make judgments about people based on their appearance, particularly when a person appears wealthy. Now, the Bible actually has a lot to say about this kind of special treatment. It calls it partiality. 
And this is what James is addressing in our passage today in James chapter 2, specifically showing partiality to those who appear to be wealthy. Now, I use the words appear to be wealthy for a reason. I mean, think about people in your own life or people you've known maybe over the years that you would consider to be very wealthy people. How much wealth do they actually have? Do you know? Probably not, right? Unless these people are your family members or you have an unusually close relationship with them, you probably don't really know how much wealth they actually possess. But what you do know is that they appear wealthy. And that's what this passage is really addressing. James is rebuking us for treating people differently based on superficial reasons such as a wealthy appearance. Today, my hope is that we would understand this one thing. Since God shows no partiality, neither should we. Since God shows no partiality, neither should we. Now, we're going to talk about what that means. But before we jump into our passage, I want to address kind of a side issue that can easily come up when we start talking about those who appear rich and those who appear poor. We must remember that this passage says nothing about the good or evils of having wealth. We should not read this passage and then walk away thinking it's somehow evil to have wealth or that it is more Christ-like to be poor. That would be missing the point of the passage. This does not even address the merits of being rich or poor. It's addressing the hearts of those who treat the rich and the poor differently. Scripture has a lot to say about money. This is true. And yes, with wealth comes a lot of dangers and temptations. We need to think deeply about those things. But that's not the point of this passage today. This will become clear as we go on. Because this passage is very clear about not showing favoritism to the rich, but the conclusion should not be, therefore, we should show favoritism to the poor. There's nothing inherently godly about being rich, and there's nothing inherently godly about being poor. The rich man and the poor man can be equally prideful and arrogant and self-serving. The rich man and the poor man both stand equally condemned before God as sinners, and both of them are in need of forgiveness. We have to keep that firmly fixed in our minds as we look at this passage today. But back to the proposition, since God shows no partiality, neither should we. Let's, let's read, starting in James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
First, we see the sin of partiality. What is it about partiality that is so abhorrent in the eyes of God? Well, first, we have to understand that James is not condemning all special treatment of persons based on their position, their role, or their status, okay? This is very important. We have to get this distinction clear because this is another way we can get biblical teaching out of balance with other biblical teaching. James is not saying that showing proper respect to the elderly, for example, or government officials or people in positions of authority is inappropriate in all contexts and all circumstances. That's not what he means when he says partiality. After all, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and your mother. So, children... You can't look at James chapter 2 and say, see, mom and dad, I don't have to treat you any differently, right? I don't have to to treat you any differently than I treat anybody else because James 2 says, don't show any partiality. No. 1 Peter 2, 17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Other places in Scripture teach that we are to respect and obey civil authorities because they bear the sword of God against evildoers. So there's clearly a level of honor we are to give those who rule over us through civil government. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So we clearly have distinctions within Scripture those who are in positions of authority, those who are elderly, it is not wrong to treat them differently, okay? So James is not saying there will never be a circumstance where you need to treat someone differently based on their position or role. That's not what he's saying. For example, if we received word that the President of the United States was planning to visit our church on a particular Sunday... There would be nothing wrong with getting our building in tip-top shape, right, and marking out a, a number of rows for him to make sure that he is comfortable, to make sure that, that there, there is enough space for him and all of the people with him. There's nothing wrong with that. It's showing honor to the position. Or what if we were to mark out a section of our seating here in this room to accommodate people with disabilities, Is that what James is talking about? Would James stand up and say, stop showing partiality to people? Why are you doing this? No, of course not. James is not saying that we are to treat every single person exactly the same in every context with absolutely no distinction of role or position or authority. Making any distinctions is not what James is speaking against. So what is he speaking against? This word partiality in verse 1 literally means to judge according to face. To judge according to face. What he's speaking against is partiality, which is making superficial evil distinctions. There are some distinctions that should be made because they are based on honoring those worthy of honor and sacrificing for the good of others. But there are other distinctions that we can make that come from a wicked heart, a heart that bases the value of people solely on their external appearance. 
Look again at how James describes this partiality in verse 2. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's clear here that James is condemning the practice of showing partiality or favoritism to certain persons based on their wealth, or at least the appearance of wealth. There's a man who comes into their gathering, wears a gold ring and fine clothing. This is very similar to how a rich person, or at least someone who wants to appear rich, might dress today. There's another man who comes in wearing shabby clothes, and to the rich man, someone says, you, rich man... Sit here in a good place. To the poor man, they say, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Now, at first glance, this may not seem like a big deal to us because we're 2,000 years removed from this culture and we, we have not really grown up in an environment where seating arrangements are a sign of respect or there's a value assigned to where we sit. We can, we can picture how that would be, though. But we have to understand that in that culture, in those gatherings in a synagogue, very few people would have the opportunity to sit down. Most people would stand, some people would sit, and others would sit with their feet up on a footstool. That's just how things would play out, and that's not necessarily wrong. What is wrong and James explains this, is when someone in the church, probably a leader in the synagogue, assigns specific seating based on something as superficial as the appearance of wealth. To tell someone they must stand because they are poor is wicked. To tell someone that they must sit at the feet of someone else because they are poor and the other person is rich is wicked. He says it's, they are wicked thoughts. If someone in the synagogue is sitting with his feet reclined, imagine how disrespectful it would be to tell a poor person to go sit on the floor. Not only is a poor person not worthy to sit in a seat, he's also not even worthy to sit on a footstool. The rich person is given extra luxury. He's assigned extra luxury while the poor person is disregarded. Now, keep in mind that the fact that some people are more comfortable than others is not necessarily the problem. The problem is that people are being told where to sit. They are being controlled and mandated to sit in certain places based on their appearance. But why does James call this evil thoughts? We have to think a little bit deeper about this. What is it about this mindset that he... I mean, that's a pretty strong word. These are evil thoughts, he says. Why? This attitude reveals a prejudice in the heart of that person that is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These thoughts are oppressive. And within the context of the people of God, it is a proclamation of something that is demonic it's something that says this, our acceptance of you is based on how much money 
you bring to the table. That's essentially what's happening here. Do you have money to offer? Do you have more to give? Well, if so, come on in. Make yourself comfortable. Sit here. Sit here in a comfortable place. We will honor you. We will make accommodation for you, even if that means disrespecting those in our church who don't have as much monetary wealth to offer. At the root of this action are two idols, the love of money and the fear of man. Those who were rich in that society, just like in our own, had great power, great influence. They could use that influence to either help us or hurt us. And just imagine the great things we could do if they were on our side, the leaders might think. Do you ever think about that? Man, I do. I know I do. If we could just get a couple millionaires in here, right? Just get a couple millionaires. We could get this building, tip-top shape. Think of all the things that we could do, all the things we could have. Man, just get just one, Lord, just one millionaire. That's all we would need, right? We could get that ugly corner cleaned up. <laughs> Everyone now notices that, as if you didn't before. We could get a new roof on this place. Man, we could hire more staff. We could pay our staff more. We could have this ministry. We could have that ministry. We could do so much more. And man, this is how those of us in leadership, we think like this. And we use good things to justify this kind of thinking, right? I mean, think about all the, one, think about all the gospel influence we could have if we just had more money come through the door. What other people can offer us can easily become like the ring of power in the Lord of the Rings. We become little Boromirs, if you are familiar with Lord of the Rings. This is as nerdy as I get right here. We see in these people so much power and control. And if we just had access to it, if we just had a little bit of it, man, we could use it for good. It doesn't have to be evil. We could use it for good. Once we start viewing people in terms of how much they can do for us, we are well on our way to showing partiality. Church, this is, a, this is the love of money and the fear of man. And that's the real sin here. Showing partiality comes from a heart that does not see people as those who have been created in the image of God for His glory. Instead, the heart behind partiality turns people into numbers to be gained or tools to be used or even worse, subjects to be controlled. It is a form of bondage and it is demonic. It should not surprise us that James tells us that when we do this, we have made ourselves judges with evil thoughts. It doesn't feel like that when we're doing it, but that's exactly what's going on in our hearts. We have decided who is worthy and unworthy of our attention, and we have based our decision on what people can do for us, what they bring to us. 
Now, most of you here are not pastors of churches. You may never be tempted to do this on a a leadership scale. But I don't think it's very hard for us to see how we are all guilty of this to some degree at different times. But there is another reason why this kind of behavior is so wicked that we haven't touched on yet. What makes showing partiality so abhorrent to God It's because when we show partiality, we are not reflecting the character of God. You see, God Himself is impartial. We're going to look at the impartial character of God. And this is actually the point that James starts making in verse 5. He says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? But you, you have dishonored the poor man. This is the crux of what James wants us to know. Showing partiality is contrary to the heart of God. We should not favor the rich man over the poor man because God does not do so. But before we look at that truth specifically, let's think generally about what James is saying because it's very instructive for our Christian lives. James is helping us see something very important. He's helping us see how big theological truths and concepts can be applied to our ordinary daily lives. That's the title of the series, The Everyday Gospel. And here's a great example of why we have chosen that title. James takes a big theological truth. What is it? The impartiality of God. God is impartial, and He wants us to see how this truth applies to our daily lives in very specific ways. Ephesians 5.1 says we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. And here James is encouraging us to imitate God in His impartiality. It really is that simple. Sometimes we make studying theology too complicated, I think. I know I do. We keep it all up in our heads. We forget that it's supposed to make its way down into our hands and our feet. Big theological truths should affect what we do day to day, hour to hour, So don't let that truth go unnoticed today. Let that be instructive for us today. First, we want to take more time to meditate on the character and attributes of God. I encourage you this week, meditate this week on the impartiality of God. That's a big theological truth. It's all over Scripture as we're about to see. Meditate on that. And then think deeply. Ask the Lord to show you Lord, how can I imitate you in your impartiality? Let's get back to this specific truth, this attribute of impartiality. God does not base His love or acceptance of people on their wealth. This is a regular pattern throughout the entirety of Scripture. Over and over throughout the Bible, we have example after example of God choosing to place His love on those who are poor and weak and the outcasts of society. So we're going we're gonna to go through a lot of passages right now, okay? It'd be best if, if you want a list of these, you can just write down the references. I'm just going to read a lot of verses because this, this theme is all over Scripture, Let's hear some passages first on the nature and character of God. This is Deuteronomy 10, 
17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Second Chronicles 19.7, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Malachi 2, 8 and 9, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. He's talking to the leaders of Israel. You have corrupted the covenant, says the Lord of hosts. So I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. There will be tribulation. This is Romans 2, 9 and 11. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, for God shows no partiality. John seven twenty four, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Ephesians 5, or I'm sorry, 6, 5 through 9 Slaves, obey your earthly masters, not by eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with God. There are so many more that we could, that we could read on just the character of of God. It is part of God's character that He shows no partiality. And what does God specifically say about our treatment of the poor? Again, if you were to run through Scripture, just reading, what does God say about those who are poor? How should we treat them? How does God view them? This is a, a common theme throughout all of Scripture. I'm just going to read a few passages. Psalm 41.1, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Psalm 72.4, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Proverbs 17.5, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Proverbs 21.13, whoever closes his eye to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Many of the Old Testament prophets preach judgment upon Israel and Judah because of their treatment of the poor. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, God made special provision for those who were too poor to bring the prescribed offering. If they could not afford a bull, goat, or sheep, they could offer a dove or a pigeon. Every seventh year, all debts would be canceled in order that a person would not go permanently into debt that could never be repaid. Every 50 years was a year of jubilee where slaves could choose to be set free from their masters. Crops in the field were not to be completely harvested to the very edges in order to leave some for the poor. The poor were never to be charged interest interest on a loan, and if someone was forced to sell all of their property to survive, a family member was supposed to be the one to buy it 
so that at the year of Jubilee, it could go back to them. It would stay in the family. It is clear throughout all of Scripture that God does not disregard or cast aside those who are poor. He calls His people to make special provision for them so that they are not left destitute. Our God cares for the poor. What about the New Testament? There is explicit teaching about the poor as well. But let's just look at Jesus, what Jesus taught Himself. We'll broaden it out a little bit. What did Jesus say to those who were considered outcasts, to those who were considered the lowest, the lowest of the low in His society? Matthew 23 says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It is those who are humble those who are low, those whom the world says have no value, is those that God will exalt. Luke 14, 7 through 11, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. We see this all throughout the Gospels. Over and over we see this reversal. It's one of my favorite things to meditate on in all of Scripture. I love the Gospels for this reason. It's how Jesus turns everything on its head. The scribes and Pharisees, the most important religious people of the day, automatically assumed they were included in the promises of God. Meanwhile, repeatedly, it's the weak, the poor, the blind, the lame, the sick, the women, the Gentiles, the tax collectors, and the children who receive the promise of Christ's blessing. Those in that society who appeared to be in were cast out because of their hardness of heart. And those who, by the world's standards, were outcasts, were welcomed to the table of our Lord. It is a beautiful thing. And remember, this is not reverse partiality either. It's not like God is favoring the poor over others. That would be just another form of partiality. No, the point is that a person's wealth 
or appearance or giftedness has no bearing on God's acceptance of them. One more thing that we want to see under the impartial character of God. The most explicit example of the impartiality of God is His willingness to lower Himself to the level of humanity and make entrance into this dark world to bring salvation to His people. There's no better time to meditate on the impartiality of God than this time of year, Christmas time. The fact that Jesus would leave His exalted state in heaven, He would take on human flesh, He would live a perfect life full of hardship and persecution and die a criminal's death after excruciating suffering is the greatest display of impartiality we could ever see. If anyone deserved to be treated differently, it was Jesus. If anyone had any right to to partial treatment, it was Him. And yet, listen to what Paul says about Jesus in Philippians 2. Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto tightly. But He emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, we see the glorious nature of God shining through, the impartial character of God. Jesus came to save sinners. This means that the gospel is for all, all people, everywhere, for all time. Those who are rich need forgiveness of sins. Those who are poor need forgiveness of sins. Those who are rich hold no special status before God, and neither do those who are poor. All people stand equally condemned before Him, and all must turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. This is what James wants his readers to understand. God has even chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs, sons and daughters of His kingdom. Look again at verses 6 and 7. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich one, the, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? It's like James is hitting them across the head, saying, wake up. Don't you realize that your behavior is not only contrary to the character of God, but you're also siding with those who are blatant enemies of God? You see, in James's day, persecution was common. Oftentimes, it was started and funded by those who had the most money and were the most influential in the society. So, if some rich and powerful people wanted to run a bunch of Christians out of town, they could do it. It sounds like that's exactly what was happening. The rich were the ones deliberately setting themselves up against God's people. They were dragging them into court, James says. They were blaspheming the name of Christ. They were openly speaking against God's people, against 
God's work and God's will. Why in the world then would we disrespect the people of God by showing favoritism to such people? That doesn't mean that they can't show love to them and love their enemies and grace to them, but they should not be given special treatment. This brings me to my last point, the call to impartiality. This is actually back in verse 1. Based on everything that we have seen, the sin of partiality, the impartial character of God, the result is that we are called to show no partiality. Let's go back and read verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This is a very straightforward expectation. This is common in James. He just gives a command, and he gives some reasons for it. He says, look at the actions and character of God. You see how He shows no partiality? He does not favor the rich over the poor. In fact, He oftentimes chooses the poor and weak to accomplish His purposes. Well, just as He shows no partiality, neither should you. That's His point. This expectation is for those who hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, partiality is inconsistent with the faith of Jesus Christ. Here again, we see that even though James may not be as explicit with the gospel as other New Testament authors, he clearly has the life, death, resurrection of Jesus as the backdrop and foundation of what he writes. We see this especially in his phrase, the Lord of glory. This description is very relevant to this idea of impartiality. After all, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, humbled Himself and came as a man. And by all accounts, He lived a poor life. He was despised. He came from a despised region of Nazareth. Despite His humble earthly circumstances, in Him, we are told, all the fullness of deity dwelt bodily. Even within the very person of Jesus, we have this glorious paradox. Those who are humble and poor become the victorious, exalted ones. One commentator says this about the impartiality of Christ. During His incarnation, Jesus was the glory and image of God in human form. And like His Father, He showed no favoritism, a virtue even His enemies acknowledged. It made no difference to Jesus whether the one to whom He spoke or ministered was a wealthy Jewish leader, a common beggar, a virtuous woman or a prostitute, a high priest or a common worshiper, handsome or ugly, educated or ignorant, religious or irreligious, law-abiding citizen or criminal." His overriding concern was the condition of the soul. And while we are on earth, we should act just as He did when He was on earth. When we show partiality, when we say, man, they could really think about what they could offer, think about what they could bring. Let's give them special treatment. Let's, let's you come sit here with your feet up. You poor people, we're just going to ignore you. Or you go stand over there. You don't have as much to offer. 
When, when that is what we do, what is going on in our hearts, we are not caring about the souls of those people. The soul is the farthest thing from our minds because we are looking at what's on the outside. We are obsessed with external appearances. We are obsessed with what we might get from someone. Jesus cared about the souls. So where do we look if we want to understand the impartiality of God? We look to Jesus. In Him, we find the perfect balance of boldness and humility. The perfect balance of rebuke. Man, aren't you rebuked when you look at Jesus? I am. But it's the perfect balance of rebuke and acceptance. He rebukes with one hand, with the other, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It is this perfect balance. We look to Jesus if we want to understand the impartiality of God. So what are some ways this passage can challenge us in our church, in today's culture? Well, hopefully you've already seen several ways. First, my prayer is that we would be a church that shows no partiality as we hold the faith in Jesus Christ. When we look at the explicit example that James gives there should be immediate application for us. When people come into our assembly, do we treat them differently based on their appearance? Do you ignore the person who does not look clean or put together? Do you only gravitate to the people who make you comfortable or seem most like you? This is something that we will all naturally do, and we must be mindful of it. It takes intentionality to go out of our way to welcome others into our assembly, especially those whom the world would say to avoid. And let me say that when it comes to this specific application, man, Redeemer Church is one of the most welcoming and hospitable churches I have ever, I've ever seen, much less been a part of. Many of you are members of our church today specifically because you were overwhelmed by the love and acceptance you were shown here. And for that, I'm so thankful. It is a blessing to see this week after week as people come through our door and they're welcomed. They're invited into homes immediately. They're invited into community groups. It is a blessing and a joy. Thank you for that. But our tendency will always be to turn inward. Well, someone else can do it, right? Someone else will talk to them. Someone else, you know, that person's just, they don't dress like me. They don't appear clean. Someone else will talk to them. We must continually be looking for ways to extend the love of Christ to those whom the world would not accept. This is a direct application of this text. But second, on a more personal level, are there other ways that you have a tendency to show partiality? Man, we could, it could be anything. 
We could all do this in, in different areas of our lives. Maybe you're tempted to ignore or disregard other kinds of people, people of a different race or color, people of a certain profession, people whom you know have sinned in a particular way. Our hearts are so prone to set up borders and distinctions between groups of people so that we can kind of box ourselves and box other people in to our certain ways of thinking but this is not the way of Christ. Maybe there are people you work with that others consistently put down or ridicule. Maybe you are guilty of the same things. Or maybe there are people in your life that you mistreat or disregard because you're holding a grudge against them for something. Ask the Lord today to reveal ways that you are prone to show partiality, to show favoritism, to disregard others. And spend this week meditating on the impartial character of our God. Nothing will move us to love others with the love of Christ than beholding His love for us. When we keep the gospel of Jesus Christ central, we experience true freedom to reach out in love to everyone because we know that we are the undeserving ones. If anybody deserves partial treatment, it's me. I don't deserve anything good from God. I don't deserve any grace. And yet, He has chosen to show His grace and His mercy and to call me out of darkness into His light. And if that motivates us, if that permeates our hearts, then we too can show impartiality. When we know that we have received grace and mercy, when we've only deserved the anger and punishment of God, then we will be able to extend grace and mercy to all. And when we see the beauty of Christ and our acceptance before Him, the natural result will be the fair and impartial treatment of others. It will become natural for us to reach out to those that the world treats as outcasts. Since God loves impartially, so should we. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and the way that it convicts. Lord, show us now, each one of us, individually. Lord, may we not think about how this might apply to Christians in general in our culture. May we think now, may we hear from you now how this applies to us as individuals. Lord, we have sinned. We have shown partiality. We have not treated your people, your your creations, as though they have been created in the image of God for your glory. We have turned people into numbers. We are self-seeking, even in our relationships. And Father, we long to be different. Fill us now, Lord, with reminders of Your grace. Help us, Lord, to meditate deeply on the impartial character of You and of our Savior, Jesus. And may we become more like Him. And may we be a church, Father, who loves those that the world says are unlovable. 
oh God, I want that to be true of me so badly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.